All right, Tobor, let's do this. Y'all ready to rock and roll? Hey there, everybody. This is your sentient host, Junk Fourth T Man. And uh, welcome to episode 200. El- welcome to episode, I said. Episode. It's episode 259. Uh, yeah, this is a Creative Writing Motorcycle podcast. Uh, we're live in the studio right now in lovely downtown. Where are we tonight? To where I didn't even check the. We're not in. We're not in Burbank. I said lovely. <laughs> Fuck you, Burbank. Anyways, hi, G.I. Tobor. How you doing? Hi, Junkie. Hi, audience. It's me, Tobor, the sentient robotic android. Yes, it is. You're in here tonight. We got you powered up. We got you on. We got you charged up. Hopefully, you're you're not very high. You're only at uh, like 25 or 30 percent. Hopefully, that will be enough for you to stick around because. We got something planned, don't we, Tobor? Hey there, ladies and germs. Are you ready to get <laughs> your panties in the wash and your innards in the knot? That's not a saying, Tobor. But anyways, yeah, we're going to have you roast a bike against Wiggins uh, from Patreon request. How do you feel about I'm that? I'm ready to set this rocket flying. Okay. I've never been more ready to destroy a human, except that one time, which we shall never again discuss. <laughs> Moto One Podcast Network. You're listening to Creative Riding, the motorcycle podcast that's like riding through the rain in wool pants and only wool pants. We're brought to you by our supporters on Patreon. For more information, head over to patreon.com forward slash creative writing. We don't know why they support us, but you should. Now, to your regularly scheduled show, and don't turn it off this time. Don't just stop. Hey there, listeners. This is Patreon subscriber Narissa coming to you from inside my helmet in the land of beer and cheese, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You're listening to the Creative Writing Podcast because you're obviously ridiculously good looking. Yes, you are good looking. And yes, that was Patreon Narissa. And she's not coming to us from the land of beer and cheese. She's actually in the land of apple pies and uh, sheep, of all things. Did you know? Uh, I believe she's out here in SoCal. I, I 100% know she is because um, I saw her post on Instagram. She's down in uh, East County, San Diego, gobbling up some uh, apple pies there in Julian. Hey, anybody going to Babes Right Out this uh, weekend out in Borrego? Borrego is a Spanish word for sheep, and that's why I said the land of sheep. Learn a thing, people. Uh, anyway, yeah, if you're going to be in Julian, check out their delicious apple pie. Um, one of the only places in Southern California that actually still has a pioneer cemetery out there. Uh, so check that out. And just east, is it east of Julian? I, uh, think there's a ghost town out there. So check that out. Or, or and there's a, <laughs> if you're out in that area, go check out the Uneris landing site if it's still there. Oh my God. Yeah. I forgot about that place. So anyway, lots of fun stuff to do in that part of town. Borrego, beautiful this time of year. Um, not so beautiful black back in mid summer when I was there. Uh, but that is in and of itself a whole entirely different story. All right, everybody, welcome to episode 259. This is going to be a magical episode. 
hopefully. Uh, so what we got on the docket for tonight is um, our disclaimer. We need to do this. Tober, I should just let you read one, this one of the days. I know we need to uh, conserve your power, so I'm not going to have you say it. I will say it. The views and opinions of the participants of the Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast are those of the participants. They are their own... They take responsibility for... I'm just adding now. Let me just read the script. They don't reflect the policy, position, or opinions of Creative Writing, Moto One Podcast Network, or any of its affiliates. And any opinion is the respect of participants and not intended to malign anyone or anything, even zero motorcycle riders. Which, by the way, now that I'm pretty much getting off the Facebooks... I have, I'm not getting off. I'm just saying I haven't used Facebook in a long time. Um, there's so, so many better places to go and and uh, I don't know. Anyway, uh, a whole nother podcast about that. But I feel like Facebook is doing a nosedive right now. I wish it, I wish it would have just stayed like a social network and not try to go public and be a information gatherer and seller and all that fun stuff. Regardless, long story short, before I get off on tangent here, I've been on the Reddits more, right? Reddit and Instagram. Instagram's owned by Facebook, but I, don't, I feel like they don't collect as much data. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Regardless, um, yeah, been on the uh, the Reddits lately where a lot of people are posting um, and you can get it in your feed and just check it out. Electric motorcycles, lots of people with zeros. Uh, interesting problems popping up. And here I thought electric was the wave of the future. Electric. You don't have to do any maintenance to it except for uh, wear items like brakes and tires. And that's, just, that's not maintenance, that's just a wear item. But now I'm finding out People are having all sorts of kooky issues with these new zeros. And I've test ridden a few zeros and I really liked them. So uh, I hope they get that ironed out. Um, let's see. What else we got going on here? We got the word of the week. We got some announcements. Why didn't my word of the week pop up here? What the heck? Uh-oh. Uh-oh, Tobor. Uh, word of the week is gone. Some of our show notes uh, did not translate over or didn't save. Uh, so we need to uh, scrape up a word of the week really fast. I'll tell you what. Let's make this week's word of the week ohm. And uh, we'll talk about what an ohm is. So an ohm is deri- uh, the derived unit of electrical resistance named after the German physicist Gorg Ohm. Sounds like a very... Gorg Ohm sounds like a... Um, I don't know, like a troll's name, like some wizard. I am Gorgome. So anyway, it's like, it's the uh, electrical resistance between two points of a conductor when a constant uh, potential difference of one volt applied to these points produces uh, in the conductor of a current of one amper, the conductor not being the seat of any electromotive force. I just going off the top of my head. I'm not reading this off the internet. I'm just thinking out loud. All right. I read all that off the internet. Anyways, ohm, ohm, and it's also the universal sign of, um, the universal sound, actually, of uh, inner peace, I think. So either either people that are into yoga and, um, and uh, tantric uh, chanting are really into electricity, or ohm has another meaning. <laughs> so anyways, uh, with that out of the way, yeah, thank you. Get that out of my way. Uh, we got some announcements. Wiggins has a knife show this weekend, the 8th, at the uh, Kama Sutra Lounge down in downtown uh, San Fernando. <laughs> Just, that is 100% untrue. Uh, but we will be at a motorcycle show together. Babes Right Out, of course, is happening this weekend. 
Uh, there is, if you're going to be in Orange County, uh, or you're not a woman, and you're not allowed to babes right out, go to uh, the Vintage OC Bike is uh, having their uh, monthly meetup this weekend at Castaneda's Mexican uh, Food Place. I don't think it's called Ma- Mexican Restaurant, but I'm going to say Mexican Food Place because I don't want to get copyrighted. Because <laughs> that's, that's how copyright works. Tower, I'm in a ridiculous mood right now. Um, so anyway, so that's going on. Babes, right now it's going on. Uh, SoCal Bike Fest. We talked about that last week, um, and we did the prices in um, Chalupas or Taco Supremes. So go check that out if you're going to be in SoCal. Um, there's a couple of races happening. There's lots of fun stuff. So you do your due diligence and find uh, what's going on around you. Because I'm not going to predict where you are in this world and then guess what's going on around you. Uh, so at any rate, uh, all that's happening this weekend here in SoCal. Um, be at one of those things. Be fair or be square. And uh, yeah, that's it. So we got some news coming up really quick. Barton, do we have Barton? Did he call in this week? Oh, no, he didn't call in this week. I hope Barton's okay because I don't think he called in last week either. Okay, well, he ain't in. Uh, Tobor, it is time to roll in our news. Oh, yes. I am so glad you're here. Oh, God. I dropped my... Okay, okay. Enough, enough, enough. I dropped my spread. All we needed was like a little little beepity beeps. Uh, yay, Junkie Turdman just dropped his notes. Hang on, folks. Real professional. If I was Tobor, I would have like this built-in, what like that built-in uh, ledge that you have. Like you, you have like a built-in um, podium or whatever they call that thing where you do a speech from. The podium? Yeah. Okay. I thought so. Anyway, so here we go, folks. News. News. Um, this just happened. Breaking news. Let's hear the breaking news thing. <laughs> Excellent. Breaking news. Uh, a large oil spill off the coast of Huntington Beach in Southern California has released 126,000 gallons of oil into the Pacific Ocean. And people always think that California is full of hippies and that um, we don't drill oil here, but we, we absolutely do. It covered, well, I think it got bigger actually after this. This, is, this news from a couple, uh, I typed these notes earlier this week. 13 square miles of ocean and 25 miles of coastline, including some natural wetlands down by Dana Dana Point and the, um, the, bo- the giant boobies down there uh, have been affected. If you don't know what the giant boobies are and you're out here for Babes Ride Out, take a ride from Borrego. It's it'll, it's a little bit of a drive, driving all the way from Borrego up to uh, San Onofre. But look at the gigantic boobies that is the uh, San Onofre nuclear power plant. Looks like two big boobs just hanging out there on the beach. Um, so all the way down there was affected by this uh, this uh, oil spill. And officials aren't sure where the leak originated. <clears throat> Now they are. Uh, but anyways, the staff at OC Triumph was sweating bullets. You know how Triumph's leak oil. <laughs> uh, maybe not the new ones. But anyways, bad British bike joke. Uh, yeah, I think they did find out that it was a 13-inch little cut. Um, and who knew when you have oil pipe in the ocean and it's exposed just laying on the floor and debris falls on it from up above, it don't take very much to rupture just a little tiny cut in the pipe and uh, let a bunch of oil spill out. So they clean it up with boons. Luckily, oil floats and salt water makes everything buoyant and they are, they're able to surround it with boons and uh, rope it in on the surface. And then they let um, 
guys with diesel trucks just come and siphon it into their game. <laughs> That's not how it works. So anyways, uh, <laughs> enough of that news. Tobor, let's move on. Uh, thank you, Tobor. Uh, new news. Ducati releases a Multistrada causing Jensen Beeler, the founder of Asphalt and Rubber, to be hop- hospitalized for priapism and writer's block concurrently. Uh, the journalist and, pro- and podcaster dropped Domenicali's name several times at the local hospital, to which no one cared except the guy in room three who works at Moto Corsa up in Portland, and he was in there just for a routine checkup. But if you haven't heard the news, uh, Ducati is doing their press release. They will be releasing, I, I think I mentioned this on last week's show, uh, they started dropping bikes. Uh, I believe it was September 30th. They'll be announcing them all the way up until the Desert X gets announced in November uh, plus one, which is December. I think December 9th is when they're going to announce that bad boy and then or bad girl. I think it's a girl this time. Um, but anyways, yeah. So that's what's going on in the news this week. There's a whole bunch of other crap that happened. Uh, we'll be talking. We'll, we'll have more time for news next week. Uh, this week we just we got to hurry up here. We got to get in. Um, so yeah, this week I did want to say I have a few things going on. I promised our patrons last month on the old Patreon channel that we would um, we have a giveaway, and I got it right here, hot in my little hands. I got this notes here. You could hear it, so you know it's authentic. Patrons, here's the giveaway. I told you all about it uh, last month, and uh, on our Patreon channel, and I said, listen. Uh, I got this little toolkit. Thanks for like two people that responded and said I already have that or I have a toolkit and it's really good. I think I think my motorbike obsessions. One more person said I have it already. Don't send. So we we I took your guys uh, names out of the drawing. Um, so what they're winning is I went to Cycle Gear and picked up a pretty slick little toolkit. I love that on the metric tools it says it's got a like eight, ten, and twelve centimeter sockets i think it means millimeter but we'll go with centimeter that's pretty big sockets uh but i think it means millimeter but anyway it's got a whole bunch of great stuff it's a roadside kit throw it in your backpack throw it uh in your saddlebag if you got saddlebags if you do plan on going on a long trip take it along it's got everything that your bike probably doesn't uh the one thing i don't know if it has is a tire plug kit if you go back to our Patreon page and look at the video there, I read everything in the kit, and I don't think tire plug kit was in there. So you might want to um, uh, augment it with that. And that's about the only thing I can think of that it didn't have in it, besides beef jerky. You might want to put some beef jerky in there. So, patrons, here's what I did. I have chosen a winner, and the, the way I came up with the winner was this. I thought, what? There's no better way... To, to give away a prize just arbitrarily than to, than to somehow, you know, having you guys pick would have been the best, but I didn't want to wait around for everyone to respond. I wanted everyone to get an equal chance, except for those people that didn't want to be part of it. Um, so here's what I did. What better way, speaking of our patron, Narissa, and speaking of uh, somebody that's done so much for the show, she made an MPC Motorcycle Podcasters Challenge calculator uh, a couple years ago that we used to calculate the value of street names based on letters. And uh, so these letters aren't even based on alphabetical order. They're based on Scrabble uh, points, basically. So when I went in and I was going to make one based on alphabetical order, A being 1, Z being 25 or 24, 
because everybody knows E.T. went home. Oh, terrible, terrible. Yeah, I deserve that one. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, so there's, you know, with Z being 26, I thought I'll just make everybody see it. Then I started writing the code for this, and I was like, this is going to take for flipping ever. It's pretty simple, but it's going to take forever. So I looked at Narissa's spreadsheet. Each one of her individual cells took 47 years and three engineers to develop. So you know what? Why wreck a good thing? So I took the MPC calculator, I put all of our patrons' names into it, and here are the results, patron. And I even put our $1 patrons in there, because what the hell. Coming in, in last place, let me wad this up a little bit, last place with only 28 points. Oh my god, I am so sorry. It is our newest Patreon supporter, Eli. Eli, you're, uh, and, and I put in what your name is on Patreon, your full name. So if your name is Mike, you know, and you put Mike, I didn't put Michael. If you put Mike, I put, I put Mike. So uh, you might have jinxed yourself on this. So so Eli, our, our newest patron, your, your name was only, first and last names only, I didn't put middle names. Your first and last name to combined together was only valued at 28 points. So I'm sorry, my friend, you are out of the running. Next out, uh, in uh, whatever places next to last is Danger Dan. And that's all I have for Dan. I just have Danger Dan. So he didn't give me any e- email anyway. He just has Danger Dan's Talk Shop podcast. And thank you, Dan, for supporting this podcast. Um, you came in with 33 points, so very low. Next, after that, in um, third from the bottom. So you're not a bottom feeder. You're top shelf, in our in our opinion. Lance Perry... Uh, with only 35 points. Uh, so Lance, sorry about that. Who is next? Who's in the 40s? We don't have anybody in the 40s. Oh, yes, we do. Uh, one of our OG Patreon. Actually, Lance is like the OG guy who inspired us to create a Patreon. So Lance, you're here right at the bottom with Paul. So Paul, your name scored in at 41 points. Uh, you're the only person in the 40s. Um yeah, look at that. Dan and Lance are in the Yeah, you're the only person in the 40s. Um, so sorry, Paul, you are out. We jump up into the 50s. Now, here we get, this is pretty crazy. With 51 points, we have Chad Clink. Chad Clink, 51. Too bad your name wasn't Chadwick Bo Clink or something like that. Or Clownk, because that W would really make a good... Uh, Make a good score. But Chad Klink with 51 points just edging into the 50s there. Followed closely with a tie for next, which I don't, I don't know what place we're in, but it's a tie for lowest. Actually, I'm sorry, Phil K. Phil Norse. I didn't put in Norse Force. That would have been probably higher than, than Phil and your last name. Uh, you came in at 52 points. So you jumped up one ahead of Chad Clown, uh, Ch- Chadwick Clownk. Um, and then we have tied for next place, Matt from My Motorbike Obsessions, who is Matthew on Patreon, by the way. So that's how he got away with that. He's got a, an M and a W in his first name. Him and uh, Philip B. You guys tied at 54 points. So congrats, guys, but you are not the top of the list. Uh, oh, God, I skipped over. I skipped over the creator of the, uh, the list here, Narissa Cerny. I, I lied when I said Paul was in the 40s. Narissa Cerny, she came in at 46. 
How did I miss her name right there? It's right in the middle of the page. That's why I'm looking all over the edges and I didn't look right in the middle. So Narissa, you're not alone in the 40s, Paul. You have Narissa above you. Um, and then we jumped to Chad Clank. Then we got uh, Phil B and Matt W at 54. Then we jump up to 64 with Jerry. And uh, you, you're not the only one in the 60s, Jerry, but 64 wasn't even highest in the 60s. Uh, Chuck um, Wiggins, I guess I'll say his last name. Uh, Wiggins' dad is a Patreon supporter as well. He was 68, and 68's getting up there. It's a pretty good score. That'd be a pretty good uh, street name or city name in the MPC, unless you live in the East Coast and you have township, borough, village, Bart, you know, port town or whatever in your name. Um, but 68 would be a pretty high score for a street or city, but that's not even the highest. Next, we jump to Becky W, and her last name is 18 syllables long, so you can imagine what her points are. Well, guess what? 71 points for Becky, but still, she is not the winner. Uh, she got beat by our only UK Patreon subscriber, Jay. He's got a ver- another long... His, his last name has 21 syllables in it, uh, and he's got an X in there. So, Jay, you came in at 72 points, but you're still not the winner. Let me make sure. I got Paul, Philip, Lance, Jerry, Eli, Becky, Narissa, Chad, Matt, Chuck, Phil, not Philip, but Phil, Dan, Dan, Danger Dan, and Jay. Yep, so I got everybody on here. And the one person I'm not mentioning is our winner of the Patreon toolkit. John H. Your last name is 42 syllables long, and it's got all sorts of crazy good scoring letters in there. If you were a city, my friend, I would want to visit you for ultimate points during the Motorcycle Podcasters Challenge. 77 points. So, John H., you are the winner of our toolkit. Uh, Please let me know if you already have a toolkit and you don't want it, and I will uh, avoid mailing this to you, and I will go down to, uh, you know, we'll jump down to Becky or Jay, who would have been uh, the next two below you and see if they want it. But, yeah, you are the winner. Uh, If I don't hear from you by... I'll email you on Patreon and let you know you won too, just in case you don't hear this, uh, just in case you were trying to salvage your ears and you don't listen to this podcast anymore. I will let you know that you won, my good man. But yes, congratulations to John. Didn't win a thing. H. Well, now you won something. So, all right, 77 points, man. Woo! All righty. That was a fun, uh, fun way to do it. I thought it was pretty fair. So, uh, congrats to John. And uh, yeah. Stick around. I think this, um, I told you, I, I told everybody I would announce it in October. And uh, here we are in the first week, conclusion of the first week of October, and I've done it. I've done it. So good on me <laughs> for being good to you. All right. And good for you for winning. All right, everybody, let's uh, take a quick break, and we're going to get back with our main topic of this week's show. we got a special guest. So stick around. Don't be a clown. Jam down in Funky Town. All right. Tobor, take us out. For over 
over 131 years and several months, Klogman's has been supplying quality pickles to motorcyclists the world over. Legendary icons such as Sylvester Roper, Oscar Hedstrom, William Harley, Betsy Stringfield, Frank Willoughby Cotton, Evil Knievel, Nikki Hayden, and Sachiro Honda have all quenched their desires for a thick, juicy pickle sliding across their greasy, willing lips with none other than a fine specimen from Klopman's. Join the Hall of Fame, win your first race, impress the judges, put a Klopman's in your mouth, and a championship trophy on your shelf. Klopman's, not for dreamers, for doers. Klopman's, the only pickle for motorcyclists. Hey everybody, this is Junkie from Creative Writing. You know the one, the handsome devil. Oh, you, you can... Hey everybody, this is Junkie Turdman, host of the Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast. I got one question for you. You ever see this ton of products out there on the market today and all these ads targeting hair loss, regrow your hair here and there. And then there's a spate of other products saying, hey, you got too much hair there. Get rid of it. Don't you find that a little contradictory? I sure do. So here is my call to action for you. Don't fall victim to these companies that want you to shave one spot, the one spot where you should have hair and put all these pills and take lotions and potions for hair everywhere else but there, I just don't understand. So let the folks at Terre Haute Tonics hook you up and do you a fave. Let the bros there and the, and the gals there do you a solid. Let the monkeys that they test this product, oh, we're not supposed to do that. Okay, let the uh, testing procedures there and the very qualified scientists do you a solid and help you regrow that hair. If you've fallen victim and are, are, have a shaving accident, you know what I'm saying? Maybe it wasn't an accident. Maybe you're trying to spice things up for your honeymoon, but you just decide you don't look like, you don't want to look like a, a third grader, you know? Let Terra Haute Tonics fix the problems that society is causing today. Bring back the beauty. Bring back the hair. Bring back you're the natural bear uh, and beaver. Bear and beaver? Is that the name of the product? So Terra Haute Tonics Bear and Beaver uh, Hair Tonics will bring back that hair that you may have lost uh, like a loved one in a flaming car accident. Only you lost it yourself doing it to yourself with the shaving implement. Anyways, don't let those other products tell you how to look. Let Terra Haute Tonics bring back the original. They'll put you back in fact, factory tip top shape the way you came out of the. Uh, well, you didn't come off the showroom that way. Oh, just read the script? Okay, never mind. Well, I'm just saying, you don't come out like that. You do come out bald. I mean, everything's bald on you pretty much. All right, I'll just stick. Okay, let Terra Haute Tonics put you back to that. How about this? Factory showroom condition. Let me put it. Is that good enough? Okay, let Terra Haute Tonics put you back in factory showroom condition and uh, put some. Hair back on the mitt? What do you want me to say? You just, it says make a catchy, I don't know, catchy line. It says Tober will edit all this. Yes, I, I agree. It will sound professional when we're done. Okay, just roll. Okay, Terra Haute Tonics since 1932. Wait, you guys said right now that you are you haven't been around since like 2001. Oh, your grandpa was? Okay, Terra Haute Tonics. One of them has been around since 1931. Is that good? All right, yeah, Tober will clean this up.
All right, everybody, welcome back uh, to Creative Writing, the motorcycle podcast that brings you the least amount of information on the podcasts. Uh, with us this a- a evening or afternoon, whenever you're listening, uh, we have another guest, and uh, this time uh, I'll let them. I, I always mess this up, so I'll let them go ahead and introduce themselves. Uh, guest, why don't you tell us uh, your name and what you do? Sure. Uh, my name is Hunter Leonard, and I'm currently a resident in New York. I am a senior mechanical engineer at Rochester Institute of Technology. Uh, I'm almost free to start paying off my student debts. And in the past couple years, my motorcycle collection has grown beyond the, uh, the holding capacities of our garage and has turned into a huge problem. On top of all that, I've recently been working on a fully custom electric motorcycle. I got this idea from visiting a couple motorcycle museums over in Germany, seeing some of the old 100-year-old motorcycles over there, and was thinking to myself, huh, maybe, I don't think, there's nothing on the market that looks like this, and I, I thought maybe I could fix that. So over the last two years, uh, I've created what I call the, the Steritania, named after a town I happened to drive through on I-90 through Pennsylvania. Mm. I changed a letter to avoid copyright, but uh, (laughs) the the Steritania, it's not the fastest, it's not the uh, quickest turning motorcycle out there, but I hope it'll be the motorcycle to turn the most heads. Uh, I styled it to look like it's 100 years old, ride almost like it's 100 years old, but not sound like it's 100 years old. Right. And definitely not uh, pollute like it's 100 years old. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So let's start at the beginning. You, you, you're building this motorcycle that looks like it's 100 years old right now. But your humble beginnings, where did all this start? Where did your interest in motorcycles start? And um, everybody's heard of, of MIT, you know, but RIT, that's the, uh, that's the real one, right, that people need to know about. So... Well, it's like, it's like MIT, but one letter different. There's not really right. any differences there. Um, right. Sure. <laughs> uh, I, I guess the humble beginnings go back to, uh, well, the whole problem kind of got started with my great uncle Bert down in North Carolina. We'd visit for one week every summer uh, at their little condo, and in the basement, of, well, I wouldn't say condo, I'd say a really old cabin, like like Kmart wall, like wood siding, like very cheap, very humble, cute little cabin in the hills of uh, North Carolina. Down in the down in the garage, there were these four old motorcycles. Uh, they were all from either 1970 or 71, and there were two Suzuki dirt bikes and two Yamaha dirt bikes, like a like a DT90 oh, and a and snap. A, and oh a, yeah. There's a TC90 and a TS250, and then there was the the little one that the very first motorcycle I ever rode was the little tiny Yamaha Mini Enduro. It was the JT2, I think it was called, or JT1. The little okay, tiny yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, those things were pretty cool. It wasn't like the PW50, like everyone yeah. started on it. It was like, yeah, the little, the, uh, I think it had a headlight or something on it, maybe. This one didn't have a headlight, or it was removed at some point, but. Uh, these are almost purely off-road vehicles. The TS-250 mm-hmm. was the most street legal of all of them, but uh, my my mom and my mom's brothers actually used to ride these bikes when they were kids. 
uh, and they had been, you know, sitting in the garage ever since then. They'd get pulled out for a week every year. And, you know, we used, oh, we didn't have access or we didn't bother getting non-ethanol gas down there. So the cars were always dirty. Uh, there was so much gunk and grease on them. It, they were gross bikes and they never ran well, which caused uh, my great uncle, who's an airplane mechanic, to actually show me how to fix them. And I, mm. I'd always played with Legos. I did some RC car stuff. And I always, I had this, uh, I had this interest in mechanical things. And I really loved riding these motorcycles. And uh, my dad didn't really want anything to do with it. My mom, you know, always wagged her fingers like, well, you better enjoy your time down here because you ain't bringing one back home. Or <laughs> as long as you're living under my roof, you're never owning a motorcycle. Uh, so that's, I really that's almost like the, that's like the first, that's like a parent daring you, basically, that's you know? Basically, yeah. It was a pretty open threat, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> that one, I really cherished that one week of summer I got. Um, I kept riding those motorcycles, and at nearing the end of high school, I found a friend who wanted to sell me his motorized bicycle. Like, you know those little cheap Chinese kits that get bolted into bicycle frames? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I bought one off of him. He already, like, did most of the assembly, but I pulled it, like, basically half out of a pond in his backyard. He sold it to me for $20 bicycle and engine the gas tank was held on by duct tape the chain was rusted solid it was real rough um and me barely knowing anything about engines or how to fix anything i watched so many youtube tutorials read so many forums and stuff i even like ended up replacing the piston rings i don't even think i had to do that but i was just like oh maybe maybe i should um nice and after you know countless tries uh, in this thing running poorly, I finally got it running to the point where I was riding it almost daily, 10, 20 miles a day, uh, everywhere. I was definitely, you know, pissing off the neighbors left and right, riding this little weed whacker uh, powered bicycle. Um, but as I, my mom said, it was okay as long as I wore uh, a motorcycle helmet and a, and a thick jacket and thick pants and and I got my, I got my Massachusetts, uh, lear- uh, not motorcycle permit, but the, uh, I had to get it registered as a moped or as a motorized bicycle, which has its own classification in Massachusetts. So I paid like the $40 to get the little tiny sticker put on the bicycle, even though it wouldn't have been a problem if I didn't do it, but just to make my parents happy. Um, <laughs> and that's about the extent of my motorcycle experience after, uh, high school. Right. And, like, it wasn't uh, what, it, what what yeah. age were you when you first went to your uncle Bert's and um, got your hands on those little motorcycles during the summers? Was that did that start out when you were really little? I I've been to North Carolina for a week every summer since I was an infant, but I don't think I had my first go on that little bike until I was probably eight or ten. And is that Uncle Bert with the E or a U? Because I want to give him proper credit here for starting something that you know. That's with an E. B-E-R-T. Nice. So when we get into this, uh, yeah, later we'll, we'll have Uncle Bert to thank. So yeah, so skipping skipping forward, and I love this, I love the fact that <laughs> you, you pulled a bike out of a pond. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then yeah. You know? 
<laughs> that's your mode of transport. You paid the 40 bucks. Yeah, you did a lot of stuff you didn't have to, but man, you, you're jumping through all the hoops. Are you, when you do things, do you do them to the fullest extent uh, that you think they need to be done then? Are you like a perfect, no, I wouldn't say perfectionist, but you know what I mean? Like you're not going to leave any, any I's undotted and any T's uncrossed. Uh, I guess one of my life mottos has always been uh, never half-ass anything, only use full-ass. Yeah. So I, yeah, I guess I wouldn't say I'm a perfectionist. <laughs> if I was a perfectionist, nothing would get done. But I never do anything the easy way. Like, I could have just, you know, not listened to my parents and saved up my my minimum wage job money and, like, you know, bought a motorcycle running straight off of Craigslist or something. But I decided to go the cheap route and figure it out myself. Yeah, yeah, that's always so much cheaper. <laughs> yeah, until you spend all the money on the parts and all the, the time and labor. Yeah. But, but it's the learning experience along the way. So I, I knew right, that was right. for the whole thing. Yeah, and exactly. And and just the fact that you went through the motions of pulling the piston out of a, a one of those, like, was it the Chinese kit that you pulled the piston or, you know, redid the rings on? Because that seems like yeah. so much, uh, the pistons probably are the same cost as a new engine it feels like on some of those things, you know? So yeah, you really went through, uh, you probably treated that engine nicer than anyone who's ever bought another one off of <laughs> the internet mm-hmm. has ever treated it. Let's put it that way. That is rad. Um, so was what else did, did that lead into another motorcycle or did that lead into future riding? I still have that little motorized bicycle. Um, no kidding. That's awesome. I don't use it or I don't ride it because I modified it to the extent where it was no longer safe to ride. So oh my God. I, was, I was in this drive for like, I got to go faster. I, I need to be able to shift. I need a, I need a high compression head and I need a, you know, an expansion chamber. I need all these upgrades so I can go faster. I even, it was a hard tail mountain bike frame and I chopped off the rear end and extended the swing arm by like six inches and added my own rear suspension for some reason. I thought it would like improve the ride, but it made the whole, you could grab the seat and the rear wheel and you could like canter the two, like like an inch left and right. It was so sloppy. It was also (laughs) my, uh, also just like the only tools I had were a, were a drill press, like a a corded drill and like a hacksaw and jigsaw. Like those are the only tools I had to work with. So if I was going to put anything together, it had to be bolted together or like zip tied. Those were the only tools I had access to. My goodness. Yeah. There's a lot of play when, when, if you can't weld or, uh, I did not have a welder at this point. Yeah. Or, or collars or spacers, you know? <laughs> you know? There's a certain amount of play that you're gonna have. That's amazing. <laughs> hey, you should drag race. Have you ever tried to drag race it at a strip, oh, you know? I have a YouTube video of it running. Uh, it sounds terrible. It, it's four strokes at some some points because uh, I'm pretty sure I was running it too rich or something, but uh, it, it did still get me around town. It has abandoned me like once or twice. Like the chains decided to wrap themselves around the rear wheel like in the middle of an intersection. So that was fun. But, uh, <laughs> nice. I don't know how my parents thought that was safer than riding like an actual street legal motorcycle because that thing was absolutely a death machine by the time I was done with it. Right. Yeah. You know what it sounds like? Uh, it sounds like you're just 
it's one of those things that you would tell somebody that you don't like. Hey, take, can you take this down to the store and get some milk real fast <laughs> and never come back? <laughs> As if they can figure out how to ride it. It had so many moving parts and you couldn't, but uh, you were supposed to like pedal start these things. But after the shift kit was added, you can't really pedal start it or it would pull the engine out of the frame. So I installed a pull start. It, then you had to like step on the pedal to like keep the bike from lifting up in the air from the force of the pull start. And then you had to get a little throttle. Oh God, it was such a mess. Uh, <laughs> nice. It, it had, a, it had a special like starting procedure, a starting ritual. Right. That's rad. Did, uh, did you ever get a top speed for it? Like a, any sort of measurement? Uh, it did have like one of those crappy little like bicycle speedometers on it. And it was in kilometers an hour. Uh, I would have preferred like footballs per second or something, but uh, I, I think it was like 40 kilometers an hour was my top speed or like my average speed. Maybe I could hit 50 kilometers an hour. So I'd say around 25, 30 miles an hour was a pretty steady speed I could reach. And that was all good, except for that at 10, you started to feel like it was going to disintegrate. And after that, it was just hanging on for dear life. Oh, the whole time I thought it was going to disintegrate, uh, <laughs> but it, it just kept going. Uh, yeah. I rode that thing uh, right up until like the very end of uh, high school. Uh, things changed once I finally got to college, but uh, I'm surprised that thing didn't like kill me sooner. Right. Yeah. The fact that you made it to college speaks volumes um, and actually not too shabby for, you know, a lot of high schoolers don't, a lot of high schoolers use zip ties and duct tape and, and make it on, you know, so at least you had a, a drill press and a hacksaw, which is kind of nice. And, and I love that you still have it. That's one of the most amazing pieces there is that a lot of people would have thrown that thing in the bin, but you, uh, one of these days when there's the Leonard um, Museum, you can have that as, you know, in the back. It's like, hey, the first thing that I try to kill myself on. <laughs> nice. Oh, yeah, this thing's going above my mantle or something. Nice. Um, so from there, it sounds like you got into college and yeah is this is this something that you wouldn't want any uh potential partners to see you on either you know like you know it's not it's not really attracting anyone riding up on this death machine <laughs> so you're like I, hey listen i gotta get rid of this i didn't really have much use for it at rit and also when i first got there i didn't know how much the rules could be bent i didn't know like how flexible they were with you know storing gas-powered vehicles in a bicycle rack i had right. no idea what i could get away with so i didn't bring it with me yeah okay. uh, turns out you can get away with a lot uh, as i found out but right when i got to college uh it, it wasn't really necessary uh, a, a plain pedal powered bicycle was enough to get her get where i needed to go with a lot less noise yeah no two-stroke uh yeah. <laughs> clamoring around the campus at least they'd know you're coming um did you continue to ride and in, into college yeah so uh that was not the that wasn't the end of my motorcycle building uh it was actually the start of like my better motorcycle building uh nice nice in starting in freshman year uh, i'll keep i'll keep it short to uh i'll keep it short because it's a really complicated story with many trees and like diversions and different paths that like led from this overall arching project but i built my second motorcycle i guess well i guess if you call the first one a motorcycle then this would be the second one uh starting uh fresh uh freshman year i called this one blackbird uh i guess kind of an unoriginal name but i don't know it's stuck uh i made so at this point i uh i had like a 120 volt mig welder like basically bottom shelf brand harbor freight mig welder point and shoot hot metal glue gun 
kind of thing. Uh, so I could do like basic steel welding. And of course I brought that with me to college. So uh, here I was, I was welding in my dorm room. Uh, amazingly, my, my roommate didn't mind. Uh, I bribed him with ice cream from the uh, from the like grocery store in the basement, and uh, so I welded, I cut the tubes from this frame after designing it uh, in SolidWorks. And the original plan was it for it to be electric, uh, but not just any electric motorcycle. It was supposed to be like a mountain bike hybrid too. It was supposed to be like the ultimate like uh, campus ter- all-terrain vehicle. It could go uh, on the bike paths. It could go possibly to the nearby Walmart or something. It could go off-road. It could possibly even go through the snow if I was daring enough. But it'd be a mountain bike with a wider frame that would have an electric motor in it. And I thought, well, since I'm poor and I'm going to be poor for a while, why don't I build my own electric motor, uh, my own electric motor if I'm building the rest of the frame and stuff? Uh, I did not realize the rabbit hole that would shoot me down. I had so many misconceptions, so many wrong ideas about how electric motors worked. I had no idea how you wound the wires and where the magnets went and how the motor controller makes all that turn. I had zero clue. So there were many months of research that went into building my own electric motor. Uh, it, In the end of that whole side project of the electric motor, it did work, but it was horrifically inefficient. Like 2,000 watts of power went in and I probably got about 200 watts out of it. Uh, <laughs> but it was, the whole learning experience was the important part. Uh, right. As, as I mean, that's enough to power your, that's enough to power like a stereo amp, but an, um, yeah, it was enough to keep me moving on flat ground at about like eight miles an hour. Okay. Uh, and it also, it ate through. So I, you know, at this point, I also had like cordless tools at this point to help me build stuff. Uh, it was using the cordless drill batteries I had uh, because I didn't want to spend money on a separate battery. So I was powering this thing off of drill batteries, and it just ate through them. Like I don't know, like a 30, like a dog thirty feet at a time. <laughs> you uh, can go yeah, eight miles an hour, but only for like a hundred yards. Yeah, the, the problem was this was a low voltage system, so it was like pulling 200 amps out of a set of 20 volt batteries, and the motor controller uh, was supposed to be running at like 24 volts. So when the voltage sagged down to like 18, 16 volts under all that current draw, the motor controller just cut out. It was like, I can't do this anymore, so I'd barely go anywhere. Right. It was terrible all around. Uh, so, many, <laughs> so many lessons were learned from that. Nice. Uh, and I, the moral of that story was I fucked up just about everything you can fuck up and uh, learned a lot from that electric motor project that would go into my current electric motorcycle. Uh, but as a as a diversion from the, the motor, because that clearly wasn't working, uh, I also made this frame like compatible with like one of those pit bike engines, uh, like one of those Chinese no-name clones off of like those Honda CT70s. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, so I had a little 70cc pit bike engine, and I made some aluminum plates to hold the motor, and you could bolt it into the frame where the electric motor would have been. Uh, and that ended up being the permanent solution. I just kept using the engine because it sipped gas, and with the stock, you know, uh, crappy muffler, it was so quiet. I, I could ride this thing down the, the bicycle paths next to people walking, and they'd barely look at me. It was barely louder than the golf carts they rode around campus. 
Right. Oh. Uh, I, I actually still have it. Uh, Blackbird is currently sitting outside under a tarp uh, outside my garage right now, and every once in a while I take back to campus. Now that I, I live nice. off campus now, but I'm only like three minutes away. It's the ideal location. So, and Blackbird is perfect for getting to campus. Of course, you know, it took a few years to get to this point, and I was no longer living in dorms, but it's still the perfect campus travel vehicle because I can ride it like a moped on the street, uh, and it goes up to about 40 miles an hour, and then I pull into campus, and I can ride it on the walking paths or the bike paths like a bicycle, and I can ride it onto campus, onto the walking paths, and I can park it in the bicycle rack, and I'm literally 10 feet away from the building where my class is. So I don't have to worry about a parking pass. I don't have to... Uh, I don't have to give RIT any more of my money for parking. I can. I don't, <laughs> right. have to, I don't have to leave it somewhere and walk a really far distance. I can. I can, you know, get on it ten feet from my garage, and I can get off it ten feet from my classroom. So it is super convenient. Have and is it? I have two questions. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe three. Uh, two, the first one is it Blackbird because it's so stealthy, like the SR seventy one Blackbird. I guess that. Yeah, that was probably the original thinking. It was so long ago at this point. <laughs> yeah, because it sounds really... I mean, that's amazing that it's pretty quiet. I know, you know, when you can hear people riding skateboards down the street, and I mean, they're loud as all get out. So if you got... I could see how if you had a really quiet little pea shooter on there, you barely just hear it going by. That, that's actually kind of cool. Um, and my, my second question is, um, did you ever have any of these stolen? I'm guessing the first one... Probably not, but this other one sounds kind of convenient and, and a little bit nicer design. So did you ever have an issue or were you ever concerned? I don't know. You know, MIT, that place is full of hooligans, but RIT, RIT might be a little nicer. So I don't know if you if that's a concern or you put a lot of work and time into this thing and now you're, are you worried about it ever getting yanked from the, uh, the bike rack? Uh, actually, it's never been an issue. Uh, RIT is its own secluded campus away from the town, like, you know when you are on campus or you are, you know, in the town of Henrietta. Um, MIT, it's like blended into the city. You know, you could be at a, you know, a public apartment and then across the street is a campus building. Uh, so people from the city are walking through campus all the time. Right. So then, you know, there's higher chances of things getting stolen. But RIT, right, right. people are pretty nice. Uh, yeah. Haven't had any issues with people stealing stuff. Um, this bike, Blackbird, and then the next motorcycle I built my starting my sophomore year in college, which I still lived in dorms for my second year. All uh, these bikes, I locked them to the bicycle rack behind the dorm building, and I put a like one of those motorcycle tarps over them with a bicycle oh, okay. ball. Uh, the bicycle oh, okay. ball had people honest. Never had an issue. I was going to say, for any listeners, place to go to get free bikes is uh, RIT, but I guess not. <laughs> oh, but, um, um, in the dorm nice. building, there are some uh, they're indoor bicycle racks where like people could store their bikes indoors underneath like the entrance staircase. And it's a pretty not very well-traveled area. So there are some bicycles down there that have been, they've got like a decade's worth of dust built up on them. You know they've been abandoned. So yeah. they may or may not have borrowed some pieces from those bicycles <laughs> down there. I, I made sure to only borrow motor, uh, only borrow bicycle parts from the ones that are clearly abandoned, ones that have yeah, so yeah. much dust on them that you can see the dust like building up. Like it was a couple yeah, years thick. There's no way that those could even probably work anymore. So yeah, go yeah, for the it. The tires were flat, and the the rubber on the seats were was disintegrating from the UV light. You know, it was yeah. 
Somebody, gra- whoever rode that bike graduated long ago and yeah. just re- le- left it, right? Uh, went into the glorious um, dot com back in the 90s and then probably, <laughs> probably was right back at RIT wishing for their bicycle again. Awesome. Hey, before we get too far past Blackbird, did your first bike have a name? Uh, shoot. And if it didn't, should we put it on Reddit to get oh. voted on? Oh no! It, uh, yeah, oh, it did have a name. I called it Nighthawk, like a oh, okay, like the same, like the same way a little kid names their teddy bear like Barry or something, or like Mr. Right. Popov. I feel, I feel like a teenager like naming their their invention. Uh, it's kind of a stupid name, but yeah, yeah it, it was Nighthawk, and then it was Blackbird, and uh, then after that it was Death Row, and I'll explain why. I, uh, <laughs> okay. So, so Blackbird was never gonna kill. Blackbird maybe was gonna kill me. Nothing ever terribly went wrong. A couple of things broke here and there, and I like improved the parts. But at no point was it like, holy crap, this machine's a death trap. It wasn't until the third motorcycle that I finally realized that I was capable of building death traps. And I, I realize I'm not. Ma- I'm painting. I'm not painting a good like picture of myself as a motorcycle. Yeah. Builder, but trust me. Like all these, <laughs> all these important uh, stories led to learning things uh no no college class is going to teach me how to you know build a motorcycle so i had to fuck it up myself um you know what yeah right and and nobody's going to teach you how to kill others either so i mean (laughs) you just got to figure it out the hard way so this is awesome Mm -hmm. so your third bike now all right i'm on uh so i'm like still working I'm still semi-working on Blackbird, making improvements to it. But now, beginning of sophomore year, I'm still living in dorms. Uh, I still have the welder and everything. And I still have the same roommate as before. And he's really chill. He's a wonderful guy. And I start... uh, The summer before sophomore year, I find a bicycle frame. It's the McCargy Fat Tire Beach Cruiser bicycle. Like, it was a really fancy beach cruiser bicycle that some random guy in cleveland ohio owned and i bought it for him pretty cheap uh and i was i was thinking like wow this thing really needs an engine this thing is screaming to be motorized uh but i wasn't gonna like put a chinese engine kit in it i wanted to do something better uh i had a seven horsepower subaru engine off of a pressure washer uh, oh, wow. so i i made like an engine mounting plate i welded it to the frame i uh I cut wooden fenders uh, out of like board, uh, quarter-inch oak wood or something, uh, and I took it across uh, the table saw in our makerspace and like cut ridges into it so I could bend it. And then I, so I clamped it to a bicycle rim and then left it under the hot water in our showers and then let it dry so the wood would like makeshift steam bending basically. Right, and this is for the fenders. Yeah, it kind of worked. Okay. Uh, I also bent some aluminum strips in our machine shop to uh, to help it hold its shape. Um, and I found like some no-name, just uh, generic gas tank off of Amazon, and it fit the contour of the bike relatively well. I bolted this thing together, uh, so it was a it was a bicycle, it, a fat tire, really stretched out bicycle, with a seven horsepower engine strapped to it. Uh, it had like a go-kart CVT transmission to it, so there was no shifting. Uh, and this thing, I had hit at least 50 miles per hour on this thing. And it was a bicycle. It had no suspension, uh, no front forks, nothing, in the, no springs in the rear, nothing. It was just 
the fat tires were my only cushion uh, between me and the street. Uh, and as I would learn later, is the frame was made as cheaply as possible. Uh, it's a bicycle. It's not meant to have, you know, seven horsepower on it. And the frame was less than like 16th of an inch thick, mild steel. It was very thin, very flimsy. And the engine, I guess over time, or maybe I hit a speed bump too hard or something, but eventually the frame right in the bottom, right in front of where the engine welded to the, to the frame, I probably heat treated the metal there or something. I actually cracked the frame in half. Uh, the bike, when riding it, I guess after a speed bump or something, felt very wishy-washy. It was very weird. Uh, yeah. And was not feeling right at all. Uh, the bike was very sluggish to turn, and something wasn't sitting right. So I was looking it all over, and there it was. The bottom tube on this frame had cracked in half. It pulled apart, and only the top of this frame was holding the bike together. My God. Um, yeah. Um, and that, was, that wasn't that was the only problem that this thing had. Uh, off, often the chain would, there was no way for me to like keep the rear wheel tight. It was just a, a big bolt that would cinch down in some slots. There was no way to like uh, tighten some bolts to pull that rear axle back. And I don't know why I didn't add a feature like that or something, but the chain would slowly loosen up over time and get so loose that it would actually derail off the sprocket and wrap itself around the rear wheel and it would lock up the rear wheel on me. It would be like 40 miles an hour and then snap yeah. the rear tire is skidding. <laughs> and, that happened, and that happened multiple times. Uh, I did as much uh, sprocket chain alignment as possible. I even added like a spring-loaded tensioner to like help keep the chain tight. Nothing worked. It, no matter, sometimes I think I would have it and it would run fine for a month, but then suddenly, you know, I'd be accelerating up a hill and I was like, ooh, maybe I'll give it a little, maybe I'll give her full beans or something. And then boom, uh, Rank, my retire lock. Break it. Yeah. And then I'd have to call a friend to bring me home or something. Uh, right. And, and, and obviously humans don't have seven horsepower, even the strongest <laughs> human, uh, pedaling. And so a bike chain, I think you're, I think what it's happening is, um, cause even like, even the wimpiest motorcycle, the chain is about 50 times beefier than a bicycle chain. You know what I'm saying? No, and, I and that's, the, I didn't use the bicycle chain. Uh, oh, I, had gotcha. a, I had a, I think a 420 regular, like beefier chain coming off of this, uh, off of this go-kart transmission. And I installed gotcha. a lone sprocket on the wheel. And it would so, still, but it would still just, just the fact that it derailed and got loose and, or pulled slack is what it would do it, huh? And just like yeah. rip off. My God. It, uh, it was quite a scary machine. And I thought it was going to be like my new uh, mode of transportation off of campus and around places. And that was like going, that was like through the fall. It was a pretty quick build because I was just welding an engine to a frame. Um, and then some, you know, other accessories to make it look like a, a 1920s motorcycle. So that's where like the vintage thing started, I guess. Uh, but it was also extremely dangerous and kind of flimsy and scary to ride. Uh, hence why I named it Death Row, because right. uh, it was like being on Death Row while riding it. And I thought it was kind of a funny, cute name. Uh, it was going to be my main form of transportation until I was scrolling through Facebook Marketplace uh, the winter of my sophomore year. And uh, lo and behold, what did I find on Facebook Marketplace? 
I found a 1980 Suzuki GS250, a little tiny city commuter, like cruiser motorcycle. Uh, the, there were two pictures of it, and they were both just like of either side of it sitting in someone's pickup truck. I couldn't see like half the wheels. I could barely see the bottom half of the engine. I could barely tell any details about it, but they were selling it for $275. And I couldn't believe my, my eyes. Like, wow, I actually have that cash in my wallet right now. Should I? I've never bought an actual motorcycle before. Uh, and without telling my parents, uh, I asked my, my, uh, my dorm neighbor to borrow their old minivan. Uh, we took out the rear seats and me alone drove out to Syracuse, New York, uh, which was about an hour and a half away. Uh, I paid $250 for a basket case of a motorcycle. It actually wasn't that bad of a basket case. It was, it was surprisingly easy to fix, but it was my first ever legitimate motorcycle. Right, uh, there were right. two big burly guys when I got there. They were real nice. Uh, not to try them, try, not trying to give them any negative con- connotations or anything, but uh, they looked at me as like, "You're, we're gonna put this in your van." Like, uh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all I've got. And so we unscrew the mirrors and through the miracle of three men and the the mighty silent hand of god we managed to lift it up and force it into the back of this poor little uh, toyota sienna minivan uh right. which clear i think had at least three hundred thousand miles on it this thing was beat to crap this poor minivan um I made sure there to goes pay back the headliner price. anyway, right? I mean, <laughs> I made sure to pay back my friend, and they knew what I was doing with it. They were yeah. all. Um, I managed to get it back to dorm. I asked my roommate and the person I borrowed the van from to help me get it out of the van, and uh, now I was living in dorms uh, with no garage, no driveway, nothing, not even like a parking pass for a parking spot or anything, and I now have a motorcycle. So uh, I left it, or I parked it in the bicycle racks. Uh, I put a tarp over it, I put a bike lock through it to the bike rack, and for the rest of that year, uh, I at this point, there were three motorcycles locked to the bike rack, all under tarps. There was even a canister full of, like there was a five-gallon can of gasoline even, bike locks to that bike rack under a tarp. Um, nice. And not once did I ever get a ticket or did I ever get a summons? I never got anything from RIT about the flammable liquids and the clearly not bicycles locked their bike rack. Right, um, and and all three of these are the same perpetrator. Yeah, I mean they were they had the same tarp <laughs> over them. They, they were clearly all by the same guy. Yeah, uh, I I had even brought my tools out to so like when things finally got warmed up and I could actually start working on the Suzuki. Uh, all it needed was a fresh battery, uh, a carb clean. Uh, I think one of the blinker lights were out. It was really, it was dummy easy to get this thing running again. And when when it was warming up and I finally got to work on this bike a bit more, uh, I brought my tools out. I took the, uh, the motorcycle off the bike rack and like in the drop off, like outside the drop off area behind our dorm building, uh, still on the pavement, but not where anyone's driving. Uh, I would be, you know, wrenching on my motorcycle just out in the open. There was one point where a campo officer, like, drove up, rolled his window down, and I was like, "Oh shit, I'm done for." Uh, what's what's my alibi? Quick, think. And uh, before I could say anything, 
he rolled down his window and he's like, Yo, man, is that a Suzuki? I ride a Kawasaki. Keep the rubber side down, brother. And then rolled away. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. So at this point, it was wow. clear that uh, if I'm not hurting anyone, no one cared. And that was my very first legitimate, like, bought motorcycle. And that was definitely the start to uh, my Suzuki motorcycle addiction. Partly because of the Suzuki's down in North Carolina that I first started riding on, but now I have my own. And you know, when you buy your next motorcycle, you can't buy a different brand. It has to be the same brand. You know, yeah, it, it's, yeah. it's the heritage. It's the, the the family blood. You can't you know mess with that. So right. how dare I ever bring a Yamaha or a Honda into my into my collection? It wouldn't it wouldn't sit right. So ever since then, it's been all Suzuki's. Yep. That's where it all I feel you. Right, I feel you. The first bike I ever rode was, uh, or that I ever owned, was a Honda. And uh, no, what am I talking? I never owned a Honda after that. <laughs> so, uh, but I get it. Right, you first. Um, I remember the very first motorcycle I ever rode on the street was a Royal Enfield, and man, I I wanted one so bad after that because it was the yeah. And they're they were hunks of junk. Now nowadays they're awesome, but back then they were terrible. So I get it. I get it. You, you that that first impression is very, uh, very very important. And a GS two fifty. The awesome thing about that is that I'm guessing it was like an eighties, probably. It was nineteen eighty. Yeah. Oh, so I have an eighty uh, Yamaha, a nineteen eighty Yamaha two fifty, really? and I swear the only thing that needed was a battery and a carb clean. And, and a tank, the guy that I got it from, it didn't have a, a seat or a fuel tank. And man, that was it. I just, uh, I don't know what he did to it, but um, I just messed around with it and got it firing. firing. And uh, yeah, that's all it needed. And then uh, 80, I don't know how long it sat in the dirt, like, you know, sat in the dirt for a decade and a half and it just ran. So yeah, th those 80s 250s, man, they're, they're just awesome. Uh, they will run. Yeah, yeah. This thing ran. I didn't know it had a broken, had a like a um, chip out of the valve. It had like a pie shape. Uh, uh, part of the valve had just like whacked the piston and dropped. And and uh, I didn't know that. But when I got it started, it sure was making a noise. But it still ran. You know, I'm going, wow, this thing will <laughs> run with half a valve in it. So yeah, it was nice. So they they are bulletproof and tough. You still have that one? Uh, yeah, I, I could never sell my very first motorcycle. Right. Okay. Good. Does that one have a name? Uh, I call it Susie. Susie. Uh, Susie. Susie. You know. Oh right. People there you like go. The bad names. Yeah. Did you get rid of Death Row, by the way, or do you still have that? No, I still have Death Row as well. Um, nice. I ride. I ride Blackbird to class. Uh, Death Row is currently back at my parents' house. Uh, it's it it's done. It's met its death yeah. row. Um, right. It, it, uh, I was actually at my parents' house a couple months ago, uh, helping them clean out some stuff, and death row was still there. And it fired up like uh, it was a pull start, you know, go kart engine basically on it. So it, it fired up second pull, and it actually still drives. Uh, it's just you know at any moment it could fall apart. That chain could pop off. So I didn't ride it yeah. far the driveway. But yeah, yeah. It it's well. And it, yeah, and at any other point, you hit a bump hard enough and it could become an, uh, a unicycle. So, yeah, you don't want that. 
one, two, three, three mistakes. And actually, the blackbird doesn't sound like a. It has, that sounds like a happy mistake. That sounds like a fail up. To it be was, honest, like a, that it one. Was a rough start. Uh, like I 3D printed parts that shouldn't have been 3D printed. I uh, used like aluminum where I probably should have used steel. I made things like too flimsy where they should have been stronger and. I made a bunch of mistakes along the way, and it ended up costing a lot of money in the long run as I like continuously improved it. But if it weren't for that entire learning process, then it wouldn't be as great where it is now. It yeah, it is. A, it was a whole learning process the entire time. So I, I don't regret, you know, making those mistakes. If I didn't make those mistakes, I never would have learned. Uh, one of the biggest things I learned about like when you build things is do not cheap out. The reason why I had so right. many issues with Blackbird, especially when putting her together with in the first few uh, ways of doing it, but with the electric motor, uh, with the bicycle parts I originally used, they were all really cheap. Uh, they were the cheapest parts I could find online, or they were already used, or they were worn down, but they did the job, and I stuck with it. And that ended up costing me so much more time and headache in the long run. I should have just, you know, uh, sucked it up and spent a little more money up front. You know, it, it's the, it's like the saying, uh, the what is it? The the cheap person ends up spending more in the long run, or something. Yeah, I think that's the saying. That's actually it. Yeah, it goes well. And- it goes with building projects or building motorcycles as well. Right, you can have it cheap, uh, good, or fast, but you got to pick one of the two, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> so nice. Um, so this is, and we're still moving through. You're you're still not into, well, you're still not out of college yet. You're just you're just getting into the thick of years and years of of debt. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so let's keep going here. I, I like this story so far. Sure. So Susie is uh, your sophomore year? Sophomore year. Um, Alrighty. And so hey, I'll, what, I'll what, else, what else is going on at RIT at this time? Like what else is happening in your sophomore year? Anything, anything cool happening in the uh, local area? Or were you starting to go to any motorcycle events or anything? Well, there were a couple maker fairs that I brought the, my motorcycle inventions to. That uh, or RIT actually has its own maker fair called Imagine RIT at the end of every academic year, and I really like showing my bikes there. And I got a lot of good feedback, met a lot of cool people. Nice. Uh, moving on from sophomore year, there there are a couple big events at this point um, that like really steered me into building the Steritania. Uh, I won't go too deep. I, I don't want this to take, you know, five hours because there, there, there could be a lot of things if we wanted to talk about them. Uh, so end of sophomore year, uh, I'm going back to my my previous internship for a second summer now. Uh, so that whole electric motor thing, rabbit hole that I dived in uh, my freshman year, uh, I actually used that information and that project to apply for a NASA internship. And I actually oh, got crazy. accepted. I got a, I got nice. accepted for a NASA internship at the at Glenn Research Center in Cleveland, Ohio, which is why uh, over the summer before my sophomore year, I found the fat tire bicycle frame that would become Death Row. I was over in Cleveland at that time and uh, working right. at Glenn Research Center, and that's where I that found makes that sense. bicycle frame. That makes sense. When you said some rando guy from Cleveland, I was like, yeah, every dude from Cleveland's a rando. But if you were in Cleveland, then that makes more sense. Mm-hmm. So now 
it, this is summer of my sophomore year. I'm going back for my second summer internship with the same uh, with the same scientists doing uh, continued research stuff. Uh, but that didn't really have much influence on the motorcycles. It was the stuff that happened outside of that internship that influenced my life of motorcycles. Uh, gotcha. I did not bring Susie with me. I brought Death Row with me, and at this point, I had a you know those uh, Schwinn Stingray like uh, chopper bicycles that they made for yeah. uh, Orange County choppers. Yeah, uh, yeah, those are awesome. So you can still find a bunch of them used, and then a couple of people even stuck engines on them. So uh, I, I, I won't take the credit. I didn't build this one. I bought it from someone for a couple hundred bucks. It already had the engine on it. Like they made their own engine mount, but it was still like a basket case of, of issues. But it was so much fun to ride. It was. It's a tiny kids toy making a crap ton of noise going down the street and you're literally a foot off the ground this bicycle is so small uh, <laughs> and it doesn't go faster than 20 miles an hour anyways that was that thing was so much fun i brought that i brought death row uh and i brought a little go-kart that i had with me uh and i was towing a u-haul uh across the country from massachusetts all the way to ohio uh and i managed to find an airbnb that had a garage that was willing to let me use that garage as a workshop. Uh, turns out that uh, the timing worked out perfectly where I actually went on a study abroad trip right before going to Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, so I actually went to Germany for a week and a half before getting home for like less than 24 hours, turning around and going out to Cleveland, Ohio. And on that study abroad trip, uh, is where I went to the motorcycle museums, and that's where I saw uh, this 1928 Windhoff. It, it's a four-cylinder, like inline four-cylinder motorcycle, whose engine was so big, uh, the front forks and it's like the the head tube bracket frame actually bolted into the cam covers, and the transmission sticking out the end of the crankshaft had four holes in its casting that had four tubes sticking out of it that held on the rear wheel. The engine was the frame, and it was shaft-driven. Uh, it was absolutely mind-blowing for 1928. Like I don't, I don't know how many were made, but not many. This was a very expensive, high-end motorcycle, and they had one sitting in the back corner of this museum. And I saw it, and I almost, I dropped my knees. It was so beautiful. I love. I couldn't stop looking at it. And is, is that the one that's on your website as the one of the inspirations with the big gold star on the side? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Okay, yes, I saw that, and I was I couldn't I couldn't see the picture on the tank, and I was like, well, that looks like a BSA emblem to me with the gold star with the red BSA in it. But I, obviously, that's not a BSA motorcycle. But yeah, that thing's incredible looking, and with all of those chrome pipes going back and here and there, and and that is the frame essentially. I see exactly. Yeah, where you, you see where the inspiration from. came from. I was That's like, amazing. Those, those uh, steel shiny pipes sticking out of the out of the transmission. Uh, I, I, it was such an iconic look to it. I had to I had to copy it. Yeah. You know, That's the idea crazy. is almost hundred years old. There's no way that's like patented or anything. So I felt safe, you know, stealing that idea. Right. If anyone wants to follow along at this particular point in time, we'll put this uh, website in the show notes. But if you go to leonardmotorworks.com uh, and look up uh, building the, I'm going to say this wrong, it's the Staratania? Staratania? Staratania. Staratania. Um, yeah. yeah, you'll see. It's one of the very first things. And I was looking at that thing going, whoa. And when you say an inline four, you don't mean like a CBR 
you know, six hundred. Oh, this is like inline for like long, you know, long ways. So this is an yeah. incredible. You're riding this big block of, I'm, I'm assuming oh, iron. Metal, yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> it was crazy. It was a revolutionary motorcycle for its time, but it, it was a blip on the radar for you know motorcycles around then because they didn't produce many. It was also right. extremely expensive. So I, I saw it in the museum and. That left that left such a lasting impression on me uh, for the rest of that uh, for the rest of that study abroad trip, and even so, when I got back to Massachusetts and then hopped in the car to get to uh, Ohio, I brought Death Row with me, and I was looking at Death Row. I already built like a vintage-looking motorcycle. Uh, I was thinking maybe maybe I could build electric ones. Like you know, electric motorcycles are still. In, in this is summer of 2019. Maybe this, maybe electric motorcycles are, they're lacking something. I, I was thinking, well, you know, there's the live wire, there's zero, there's energy lightning. They're they all look the same. They're all they're all sport bikes. Uh, they're all trying to compete for the fastest, for the uh, for the tightest cornering motorcycle, the high, best performing bike. But no one has really like gone out of their way. To make like the best looking electric motorcycle, and you know, not everyone agrees with me that motorcycles from the 1930s or 1920s were the most beautiful era of motorcycles. Uh, you could argue that any era of motorcycles has its, you know, has its flaws or has its qualities. But I really right. loved motorcycles from 100 years ago. So I thought, you know, if I want to build a beautiful motorcycle, one that's electric, maybe I could style it after. Death Row, a combination of Death Row and the Windhoff. And that's when the gears got turning. And I had some time out in Ohio, so I started, you know, doing some sketches. I came up with pos- with a possible logo of what I could use, like, to market myself. I uh, started doing some sketches, some rough CAD models. And while I was also out in Ohio, I happened to also buy uh, two more motorcycles. Oops. And, yeah, yeah, whoopsie, that happens sometimes. <laughs> uh, there, I got a, I, I brought home, so this little garage that I was working out of started getting really cramped. So I started, I started panicking, like, how am I gonna get this stuff home? I'm only here for ten weeks. I have a small U-Haul trailer. And that's all I've got. You know, if it doesn't fit in the trailer or in my little Subaru, it's not getting home. It's staying here in Ohio forever. Uh, so I started panicking, and I ended up selling the go kart to leave room for these two more motorcycles that I brought home. Uh, and I brought home a 1980 TS100, a little tiny uh, two-stroke enduro bike. I, uh, all these Suzuki's that I've bought, I still own. I still ride them almost daily. Gosh, uh, that's awesome. And that was my second bike. And then I went to Vintage Motorcycle Days uh, for the first time that summer as well. So it was like last three weeks of my internship, uh, I went over to the, I went down to Lexington, Ohio, and uh, what was it, the Mid-Ohio Car Course, uh, race car track? And yeah, Mid-Ohio, yep. You have uh, been there? Never have, never been there oh. yet, but a few podcasts that I know from out here and uh, one from Colorado, uh, there's a there's a great podcast in, in Ohio called Cleveland Moto, and um, they go every year, and so they always invite all of us kooks from the West Coast to come and experience it, and it sounds like a lot of fun. So it's definitely oh, on my so on my radar. Yeah, 
Um, so I, I I went to this uh, and I had a I had another oops moment. I keep I sent I tend to keep having these oops moments, but it's more like me just like living in the moment and just like you know accepting whatever shit happens to me. Right. Uh, well, I, and from what I've heard, from what I've heard, you really can't walk through Mid Ohio without having an oops moment when there's so many oops moments just spread out on the grass in front of you. You know. Every motorcycle around you has a paper plate with a price on it, and you know, right. looking left and right, like, "Ooh, that's a pretty bike." Ooh, that thing got pulled out of the woods, and, you know, <laughs> and you're just looking around, like, "Wow, that one's cheap." Wow, that that guy is high on something. Like, he wants a thousand dollars for a frame. What is he? What is he smoking? Um, right. And I was walking through. All, I was here all by myself, and I was I drove down just to check it out. I didn't bring a bike hauler. I didn't bring a trailer. I didn't bring anything with me. Uh, I, just me in my car, and uh, I showed up with forty-three dollars cash, and I didn't realize nice. that, that I didn't realize that the front ticket was forty dollars. So, uh, oops! I walked through the gate with three dollars to my name in cash, and you walked out with four motorcycles. <laughs> oh, I wish. Uh, so yeah. I I spent the day walking around the swap meet because I couldn't resist, you know, buying something. But yeah. I was just I was just looking around. Um, had no idea what was in store and then uh, and then there it was you know there it, it was that moment like the the sun shined down from the heavens the clouds parted and someone kick-started a 1974 suzuki gt250 uh the hustler as it was uh called from the factory and it was pretty beautifully restored new tires fresh top end rebuild carbs cleaned fresh paint job uh led blinkers like it was a resto mod almost and the dude had been trying to sell it all weekend it, it's now sunday it's now the last day of the event and oh my god so you, you got it for three dollars i'm assuming oh, no, no. you know it's, it's oh. now halfway through sunday and the dude is desperate to sell it he's he's telling me he probably shouldn't have told me but he was telling me that uh he has no room for it in his trailer anymore he has to sell it um which is great news for me i don't know why he told me that but um, he started it at $1,500, and now uh, four prices have gone by. They've been scratched out. You can see the price history on this paper plate. And down at the bottom, he's now asking $800, uh, which is a steal for a running, restored motorcycle from 1974. And it's a two-stroke. Right. I love my two-stroke. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So I talked to the guy. Uh, I'm falling in love with it, but I'm like, shit, I really shouldn't do this. Uh, and someone else is also there looking at the bike. It's attracted a crowd now from the noise it made from being fired up. There's a couple people looking at it. And everyone else is like, oh, I'm not so sure. Uh, and some dude, I actually, <laughs> uh, this is a, kind of a funny tangent. There's a guy wearing uh, like black shades and he's got his girlfriend next to him and he's wearing a baseball hat. I can barely see like who he is underneath, but I recognized his voice and uh, it was a childhood friend that I went that I used to go camping with in New Hampshire like years before. Like it had been at least eight years since I last interacted with this guy. And here he is in the middle of Ohio looking at the same motorcycle as me. Uh, Crazy. I, I thought you were going to say it was Vin Diesel. <laughs> no. Uh, so like, I like, yo, is your name, are, are you David? And then like, and he's like, and he was like, Hunter? And then like, we hugged each other and like, holy crap, I can't believe what, what the hell happened. And, uh, so now he's like begging me, I was like, dude, you gotta get it. It's such a beautiful bike. 
smell that two smoke. Uh, that two smoke. Right. It's amazing. Right. Uh, and I'm looking at the guy who's selling it, and he's like, "Well, I have three dollars." <laughs> um, no, and uh, he, I, t- I asked him. He actually accepted PayPal. So, um, I PayPal'd him the eight hundred dollars, and uh, and then I had the second problem of the day. And the other problem of the day was I had no way to get it home. Because uh, I didn't bring right. anything with me, because I wasn't expecting to do this, so uh, I sprinted home back to Columbia Station, Ohio. It's an hour and a half north of this place. So I sprinted back home, grabbed my bike hauler, stuck it in the the trailer hitch of my poor little Subaru, then hauled <laughs> ass another hour and a half back to the event. And by the time I got back, it was starting to drizzle. Oh, I I gave someone, uh, I gave the guy my three dollars cash. Like, hey. Uh, I'll give you an extra three dollars on top of the eight hundred I just PayPal'd you for you to hold on to it for like three more hours. And he's like, "Oh, sure." Uh, and so I raced back home, and I got back, and three hours later, it had started to mist. At least three quarters of the crowd was gone. Uh, people were packing up left and right. The event was closing out, and I finally ran back to that guy as he was packing up his trailer. The bike still like sitting out in the grass. It was a mere, like, I'm glad I was on a minute slower. Hey, $3 uh, well spent, my friend. Yeah. Uh, so I, I accidentally brought home, uh, I think so far my nicest Suzuki motorcycle uh, from there. So now I had two motorcycles with me on Ohio and a go-kart. I can't get, and death row, I can't get all these things home. So I had to sell the go-kart and there were uh, lots of blankets and ratchet straps and like lots of careful organization in that u-haul trailer managed to get me home without anything getting damaged <laughs> awesome um, yeah so that, that was a long that was a long story to say uh that was the summer that i realized uh i uh, like motorcycles are my, my future now uh right. I, I have to accept it uh, you got a motorcycle problem mm-hmm. uh after that uh i used after that, I did some more CAD design for the Steritania. I moved into an off-campus house outside RIT that fall of 2019. And uh, that's where the design really took off. Uh, I was buying parts left and right. I got a small loan from my parents of $2,000 to help me buy the hub motor that I needed. The The company that I bought it from didn't send me any dimensions or anything. So I had no, no idea how big it was or how I needed to mount it. So. Uh, I asked my parents for a quick little bit of funding uh, to get this thing off the ground. I was buying steel, uh, lots of some uh, batteries, stuff left and right with uh, the money I had left over from my internship. And that's nice. how the, the whole Steritania took off from there. And that's how the right. motorcycle problem started. Right. And it's a good problem to have. So here we are. We're going to jump into the Steritania. Let's take a quick break really quick let people grab a drink of water and a hoagie sandwich we're going to come back and we're going to hear the story of uh, the steritania all right everybody i hope you're enjoying this trip so far down the oops i had a motorcycle problem uh all the great stuff that has led hunter to this point in his story uh, a cliffhanger 
we gotta cut it short here. So what I'm gonna do, the Steratania is the main reason that I found Hunter and the uh, the main reason that he even contacted me. It's an amazing, an amazing story. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna bring this back. Usually this show comes out every other week. Next week, we're gonna bring this uh, second half of the story to you. People love a conclusion. People love a start, a finish, and an end. And I don't wanna leave you hanging. I have, however, promised that we would roast a bike about a month and a half ago. I, I recorded it with Wiggins in his garage a month and a half ago. We've gone on seven rides since, and we got some audio from all those, and I really want to do all that for you. And then on top of it, our patron, uh, Phil, the Norse Force from uh, uh, Colorado, has asked us to have a Wiggins-Tobor face-off. He said, who's funnier, Tobor or Wiggins? And I said, I think Tobor is. And he said, well, let's see. Um, you know, so we're going to have a Wiggins-Tobor face-off, and we only I, I don't want to make this show uh, three and a half hours long. So... Hunter, we were talking. We're gonna follow up with Hunter again this winter, but to hear the story of this uh, Steratania, stick around. Next week's show, we're gonna have part two coming up. The conclusion of Hunter's uh, projects. You know, we got a little bit of his, his motorcycle history, the stuff that he's into. We're gonna dive deep into the Steratania. We're gonna dive deep into the design, and we're gonna walk through some of the pictures on the website. If you want to join us next week, check out this website. It'll be in uh, next week's show notes as well. Go there, check it out, and go with us pick by pick as we talk about the interesting, interesting design and nerd out on some of the crazy stuff that this kid has done in his garage. All right, stick around. We're going to be right back with some Roast My Bike and uh, Tobor V. Wiggins. All right, we'll be right back with more creative writing right after this. of hanging out in the garage with buddies and not knowing what they're talking about? Do you have inferior knowledge of carburetors or electrical systems? What about grilling beef, guns, or other manly things? Now RP Enterprises has you covered. Introducing Mantriloquist. Mantriloquist is a monthly subscription service that puts an expert right in your head. The next time you're in the garage throwing back some suds with your buds and the conversation takes a turn into uncharted waters, just text pound 33976 on your cell phone and wait for the magic to happen. The experts in our call center are available 24 hours a day. They spring into action via our patented two-way earpiece. They'll listen in on your conversations to make sure you don't sound like the village idiot in front of your friends. Our discreet communications protocol means that your pals won't hear a thing except for you delivering all the right answers. Now, you don't have to be afraid to join the conversation when topics come up like fuel pumps, inverters, clitoris, drywall, sniper rifles, and so much more. Mandriloquist will put you back in the game instead of holding your purse in the corner. So, man up with Mandriloquist. Requires a three-month minimum subscription. Not available for women. They generally don't care or are not afraid to ask questions. Not available in Guam or Burkina Faso. Standard messaging and data rates apply. Money back guaranteed. Call now to order.
All right, everybody, um, it's Junkster here, and we have Wiggins, me, and Tobor, and we are about to roast this bike that somebody sent us. So listen, we had a, somebody send us a bike to roast on this week's show, and guess what? It sucks. But not only that, even better was when I got these <laughs> this message, I just scrolled back a little bit, and I just realized he sent us another bike Back in 2019, that's even worse, possibly. So we've got a history of bikes. We, yeah, we got a history of terrible bikes here. There is a history of terrible humans in this room, too. I don't know. I, I would say roast your bike, but I'm going to say, first of all, we need to perform an intervention on this individual. You got you to stop ruining good bikes, <laughs> especially so, that SV. This bike here is an 81 Yamaha Virago. Let's roast this masterpiece if we haven't already back in 2019. What do you want to say about this, Wiggs? I'd like to say that the uh, right off the bat, Prince would have been proud if he was into bondage because this thing has like that Yamaha Virago front end, sort of like their bike in Purple Rain, only it's made of chains and ungodly amounts of rusty sewer pipe. I just, people just can't stop. I wish your parents would have stopped. They're like, I got a Harbor Freight welder and some Harbor Freight chain. And some Harbor Freight meth. Yeah, and they're like, what can I do to this thing? Yeah, this thing's Let's, horrible. You know what we should do is we should take this bike and make it totally unrideable. I can tell you what, he went to the Watts Towers and stole some of the metal off of it for the sissy bar because it's about as long as the lightning rod on top of the Empire State Building. The kickstand appears to be... Uh, a couple sporks that have been welded into uh... oh and look this is just like your rear um... it is a shaft drive huh yeah it's a shaft drive but I think it's got rear foot peg rests like we were talking about how it's like, it's like machined huge and built into I think it. that's I think he put uh, um, I think he took the end of a uh, of a um, ratchet and welded it to the sidekick. I don't think that's where the OE uh, foot peg. You know goes. the uh, what's cool though is the shaft drive bikes. When you get on the throttle, it would like lift up weird. Yeah. He figured out how to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> he, just, he just put rigid struts on it and made it ride like shit. And these tires are from. Uh, they were originals. They're the original '81s on there, so they're looking pretty good. That roached out fork looks good. And I don't know how. I don't know what electrical outlet store he went to to get six extra feet of conduit to make the front forks on this baby but man he did a banging job and that coffee can light seals the deal all right this is not even the bike he sent us to roast this is this is nice in comparison <laughs> to the one he sent us to roast the one that we're looking at i had to get a little bit of background on it because it I, looks like he got a lot more budget for the new one yeah this new one's good it's a 2006 that's what i needed to see that's all we need to know 2006. I asked him four questions about this bike, and I'll, we'll put some pictures up on uh, in the show notes. But I asked him four questions, five questions. What year? What gas station did you get the Serape from for the seat? And you'll understand that when you see the pictures. Two, Wiggins wants to know what's on top of the gas tank, but I already know, so you don't have to tell us. Four, how many crashes? And five, how many non-walkers have you killed and why? That's, that's a Walking Dead question right there. Uh, Tober, I'll let you take the gas tank. That gas tank is a model 4153 nacho cheese dispenser. Because who doesn't love nacho cheese on their balls while they're traveling down the freeway? Because everybody loves warm nacho cheese on their balls when they're riding. But it's held on with like an ammo belt. <laughs> it is. But the ammo belt isn't a cool ammo belt from Vietnam. No, no, no. 
It's from... It's like a Wild West one, yeah. but it doesn't fit the theme of the bike. There's nothing it does else like not. Wild West. And it's the only... Bra- he he it, forewent the brown seat for the brown ammo uh-huh. belt. It's a bandolier, to be technical. And, uh, but I don't get... So the nacho cheese dispenser gas tank, like, you would think you were trying to add fuel, but he had to cut out the gas tank <laughs> to put it in there. So does it hold more fuel or less fuel? Listen, I was going to say... If I may interject, uh-huh. it holds nacho cheese. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> everybody loves nacho cheese on their balls. And it looks so comical. It looks like it's an old um, sand rail gas tank or a... a uh, a uh, keg for Starbucks. And it um, looks like he had to cut the airbox to get it to fit too. Yeah, he, I think he removed the airbox altogether. That's why it has green grips on it. That's why it runs even worse. Yeah, and look at this. I don't know if this is stock either, but he's got a um, he's got a um, that looks like a line to the radiator oil cooler. Yeah, it's it's wouldn't be radiator. They call like it a, a metal line. They call it a worm on a on a still when you're distilling. <laughs> Moonshine is to cool off the uh, the liquid and turn it back into a, or ter- cool off the vapor and turn it back into a liquid. That's also how they distill cheese to make whiskey in Wisconsin. So I think he's got 18 feet of um, of new wire on here that he didn't need new piping. I love the red, white, and blue serape. That's straight out of a New Mexico gas station. And what do you think about the uh, the windshield? That's just an aftermarket pink purple double bubble, right? Hell yeah, pink purple double bubble was also his stripper name in high school, he said. Pink double bubble was Wigan's name last week. You still owe me two bitcoins. Um, I would say he's not from California, but I think he is. But dude, bar in mirrors, come on. Why even run mirrors? Yeah, why run mirrors on this baby? The thing is, it looked like a nice SV650. Like It looked like a nice SV650. Or, or he spent enough money to get it repainted. Oh yeah. And the um, that's probably the best part. Yeah, the best part. We almost forgot this. There's there's barbed wire that runs the length of the <laughs> pipe from where. Yeah, the whole exhaust is heat wrapped. Whole thing. Which is always good because it likes to hold in moisture yeah. and put extra heat in the packing of your. This can. will be rusty in no time flat, and then it's wrapped like Pamela Anderson's arms in barbed wire from tip to tip, and. I can't tell. In this one, it looks like a Serape faded, but maybe it's just white on one side and red, white, and blue on the other. Like your butt hole. But I swear it was... And it's even got like a high pipe. It's got a nice exhaust on it. Man, yeah. And so, what else is shitty about this bike, Wiggs? I need some I need some massive dirt on it. I don't know. That's what makes it so shitty is it was a nice bike. It was never a nice bike. But unlike you, it was once nice to ride. <laughs> Dude... The fact, I, I don't even know how he reaches the handlebars over this fucking flux yeah. capacitor that he put on there. And what is this? This looks like a beaded seat like old people have on their cars that he draped across the front. Probably because he's leaning against that thing the whole time. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's really no words for this bike. Actually, the dictionary is full of synonyms for terrible and grotesque. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you think of this overflow can? It's a Yeti overflow can with oh. a... Uh, Got a little vent and everything. A NOS right? vent on it, yeah. I like it. It's a Fram oil filter that he painted blue and ran a, um, <laughs> a cooling line in. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, this bike's crap. We will um, we'll put it on our in our show notes. But I just wanted to. Uh, it's good, you know. One of the very first bikes that we roasted on Roast My Bike was an SV650 when we were at Lucky Wheels Garage. If you remember, 
way back way back in the good old days when that shop was still around so sv650s uh they make good roastable bikes and people love to do shitty shit to them yeah i don't know why because they're actually such rad bikes speaking of doing shitty shit to a bike let's get back to work on this honda <laughs> <laughs> bye goodbye okay everybody that was our show junkie out i had a really fun time uh, with Wiggs and Tobor uh, over that was in coming to you live from Wiggins Garage, and uh, yeah, better mics. We don't ha- we didn't have the studio mic'd up, so uh, that's why everybody sound wonky. But that's okay. Um, check us out. Uh, hey, babes, right out. It's probably halfway over by the time this is going to come out. It's going to come out probably Saturday evening. So I hope everyone's having a great time, babes, right out. We will be at the um, Irwindale Speedway tonight. If you're going to be there. Uh, obviously, if you're hearing this now, and uh, you better <laughs> better run, uh, we're going to be watching Destruction Derby. It's going to be a lot of fun. Tomorrow, we're going to a motorcycle event uh, somewhere in, in the hills of Southern California. And I uh, hope everybody has a safe, cool, awesome time. Get out there, ride. Stick around for next week when we uh, follow up with part two of Hunter and the uh, Steratanium. And a whole bunch of extra stuff that I've been saving uh, and gathering news-wise for next week. Uh, well, for the next show. But we're going to release one next week. So yippee for you. It's going to be the first time we've had back-to-back-to-back creative writings in quite a while. So, uh, all right. Stick around for that next week. Check our show notes this week. Um, tickle your toes. And I don't know if we're going to have a picture of that in there. Uh, Tobor. Yeah, you have it? Yeah, okay, so we might. We might have a picture of the uh, SV in our show notes, kind of like the Nokomoto Bros do, link it out to somewhere else. All right, everybody, have a good uh, afternoon, weekend, night, whenever you're listening. Oh, my God, my mic stand's falling over a night, weekend. Uh, party on, party safe, party hard, party on, dudes, ride fast. Um, don't die, Not at least not today, uh, and we'll talk to you all later. Peish and grace. Zing! Any more sound effects we should add, Tobor? Okay. And any riddles we should give anybody? No? Okay. Just start packing up the studio. Shut my yapper. Okay. Congratulations to Phil. I mean, wait, what did Phil win? Show me the list. Hold it up. John. Congratulations to John. Anything else, somewhere? All right. Well, with, with no further ado, I'm just kind of sitting around here staring blankly at a robot who's staring blankly back at me. And you're still listening for some reason. Have a sexy day, everybody. Bye!